Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are hours away. By the time you listen to this, the NFL's legal tampering period will undoubtedly be underway with the start of free agency, or if not very close as we record on Sunday night, ahead of that beginning Monday at 12 noon Eastern. And uh, in something I'm sure we expected a week ago, we're very concerned now what the market is going to look like for Marcus Mariota. (laughs) You're a little too chipper right now. I have to say you started that just like a little too positive. We don't need to relitigate the the Russell Wilson trade again, but like we might need to relitigate it actually. (laughs) I I do at some point later on want to talk about what stage of not stage of grief, the like, I mean, I know that rationalization is one of the stages of grief, but we're going to end at rationalization either way. Um, <laughs> Third bargaining, I believe. Third Pelton bar- brother, Bill Barnwell, did wonder if we were going to do five emergency pods for each stage of grief. <laughs> five per stage? No, no. One for each stage oh, of grief. We, I, only, I, we only did three podcasts last Tuesday after the Wilson trade news broke. Well, this might be the bargaining em- emergency pod. <laughs> The so emergency gonna, is that we've reached the different stage of grief. That's yeah, that's correct. Uh, so we're going to go through the Seahawks roster position by position and talk about who's free agents, who's under contract, what are areas of need, uh, maybe some notable free agents that are out there. Obviously, a lot of this focus is going to be on the quarterback position because the Seahawks depth chart right now is Drew Lock, Jacob Eason, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that's it's right there between them and the Colts. With Sam Ellinger, no, but they they still cut Sam Ellinger and whoever else they have on the roster in favor of getting rid, or they cut Jacob Eason in favor of those guys. So it's a pretty bad state for the CX group. Uh, it's also been a busy past week in terms of quarterback moves. Besides the Russell Wilson trade, obviously Sunday we got the news that Tom Brady is unretired. which I think is actually good news for the Seahawks now because it's one less team in the market for a quarterback. I suppose so. Okay. That's my rationalization, at least. Fair enough. Brady just surveyed the market. He saw that Russell Wilson wasn't in the NFC anymore, and he was like, all right, I'll give it one more go. Uh-huh. I, I assure you that uh, Russell Wilson did not factor into this decision, oh. for what it's worth. Oh. Uh, at the day after the Seahawks traded Russell Wilson to the Broncos, Carson Wentz was traded to the Washington Commanders for a swap of the two teams' second-round picks this year. Uh, a, a slight improvement for uh, Indianapolis, a third rounder this year going from Washington to Indianapolis, and then a conditional 2023 pick that will be either a second or third rounder in 2023. Uh, Barnwell analyzing that and not give you a discount, kind of assuming a middle ground for that second and third round conditional pick and uh, assuming no discount for the fact that it's next year figured that uh, by the Chase Stewart chart, that's equivalent to pick 18 or 19 in a typical draft for Carson Wentz, who has a 28.3 million cap number this season and is due a non-guaranteed 26 million for 2023 and 27 million for 2024. It is really bonkers what people are willing to trade for Carson Wentz year after year. And and I think that's really the the difficult part about where the Seahawks are. It's, It's a little bit like the Russell Westbrook trade market. Like teams keep looking bad and then they trade away Westbrook and like, oh, great. We got, we yes, got more yes. to get. 
you know they, they look I better every the, time. I guess it's no, the Wizards. But, the, but the return is definitely worse each time. Yes. What, what the Colts traded for Carson Wentz it's is more like the Rockets. Yeah, worse than what they got in return for Carson Wentz. So there, there is a net negative there. But the Brady news, it, it really is. I just want to mention for the Seahawks this season, it almost depends on how you want to approach the season. If you view them as a contender, it's a negative because they're playing at Tampa Bay. Right. If you're looking for the team to tank, or if you're looking for such an awful season that everybody in the front office is fired, this could be a positive. Can I read you the Seahawks road schedule next year? Go for it. I think there's a legitimate chance that the Seahawks win maybe one road game. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even joking. I'll take the, the over. But Okay, tell me which of these games they'll be favored in. They'll probably, they might be favored in one road game. I can buy that. Uh, at the Arizona Cardinals, at the Kansas City Chiefs, at the Los Angeles Chargers, at the Los Angeles Rams, at the New Orleans Saints, who could potentially have a new quarterback, at the San Francisco 49ers, at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and at the Detroit Lions. Well, they'll be fired at the favorite in the Lions game. I like their chances Will they? I, I, I don't know if we can... Uh, you're higher on Amon Ross St. Brown than I am. I, but I'm just telling you, in this second, right now, if Russell Wilson is the quarterback, we could say 100%. They... I mean, you can't ever say 100% for a, heading into the offseason, right? Without knowing injuries, when that game is going to happen, et cetera. But you could say with a fairly high degree of confidence that the Seahawks would be favored in that game. Right now, I'd probably put it at maybe 55-45. That's where we are right now. But otherwise, all of those other games, like that is not, you could just straight up right there be 0-8 on the road, starting from that point. The good news is they have nine home games. Uh, the other quarterback, the knows. home schedule is actually quite a bit easier. So it was really a great time when you have a fourth place. That's when you want to trade away your star quarterback. Have all of the easiest games at home. That's when you want to trade away the star quarterback. Honestly, like when I look at this, it makes me even more concerned because when we talk about these quarterbacks, the worst case scenario, I think for the Seahawks is eight and nine, nine and eight purgatory, seven and 10. I mean, nine and eight and now it's a year where the NFC has the, the extra play at home game. It's not just the Seahawks nine and eight might get you into a 17 playoffs eight, and nine to me is the worst case scenario because that's almost certainly not getting you into the playoffs and not getting you a good draft pick. If you sneak in as the seven seed in the NFC playoffs at nine and eight, are you any different than the Chicago bears two seasons ago? No. You'd be right on the precipice they of did... letting your starting quarterback go and then, again, firing everybody a year later. They did Just... follow that up by drafting their quarterback of the future, hopefully. We'll yes. see. So they, okay, they so still managed to do that. What were some of the other quarterback transactions? Well, the last quarterback transaction was on Sunday when the Vikings offered Kirk Cousins a one-year, $35 million fully guaranteed extension for 2023. And this is where I think we need to talk about you know, to the extent the argument from the Seahawks it was, well, Russell Wilson was going to renegotiate his contract ahead of the 2023 season going into the last year of his deal. You know, the 50 million that Aaron Rodgers got, maybe uh, he is, you know, denied that that's the specific terms. We don't, but uh, that was the reported annual salary. You know, that's, that's the ballpark. 50 million is the ballpark for a quarterback of Russell Wilson's ability. But it's, people seem to still think about it is it's like 50 million versus like 20 million for a mid-tier starting quarterback. But the mid-tier starting quarterback has gone way up too. 
like the price of competence at quarterback is 35 million at this point. So the Delta is not as big as I think people think it is. I slightly disagree with you because I don't know if I would necessarily, I think Kirk Cousins is probably a criminally underrated quarterback. Uh, When you look at Kirk Cousins statistically, like he took all of the heat for the Vikings record last year, Kirk Cousins on his own DVOA wise, Kirk Cousins was like a top eight quarterback. And I think that you, you can't just blame everything on the quarterback knowing that Kirk Cousins was put into a situation where his team, he was running the fucking Pete Carroll offense, right? He was not put into a good situation to win those games. They're an average offensive team and an average defensive team. And they had a bad record partially because of luck, but Kirk Cousins was not the reason for that. Statistically, it was them running the ball way, way, way too much. Dalvin cook is the reason for that. I mean, I think there's a tier of quarterbacks that kind of represent the ideal Pete Carroll quarterback, because this is, as you said, they were running the offense that Pete Carroll wants to run, you know, successful in play action. But these quarterbacks, I think, are a tier below the players who you can put the ball in their hands and feel comfortable asking them to single handedly win a game. And that's Ryan Tannehill. That's Kirk Cousins. And that's one other quarterback we're going to discuss in a minute here. Is that okay. to your quarterbacks? But I'm saying the idea that like, okay, pay 20 million to that guy because you're not going to trust Russell Wilson anyway and save the 30 million. That's not true. That's the part of it that's not true. It's only like 15 million at most now. That's the difference between that tier of quarterbacks and the Russell Wilson tier of quarterbacks. I mostly agree with that. Quarterbacks are just going to be expensive no matter what. I mean, but- I think that's one of the things that people have realized is like every, the quarterback is so central and there's no limit on individual player salary. So, you know, how much would LeBron make in the NBA? I mean, not, not as much this year, but, you know, historically, how much would LeBron have made in the very best NBA players if there were no maximum salary? It, you'd pay them like 70% of the cap and just like the Lakers this year have all minimum guys around them, right? Because it would be so valuable just to get that player. But teams haven't operated that way in the NFL because they they still think running matters. I mean, that's that's the thing that, you know, you see the Cowboys dumping salary right now and getting rid of players from the passing attack that are helping them in the passing attack, both on the line and at receiver. And that's to pay $18 million to Ezekiel Elliott, right? Like, I think that's partially what's going to have to change around the league is already we've seen it in a huge way. Like uh, the spending in free agency to running backs has changed drastically. Like these running back salaries are going to continue to plummet. That I just do not see a scenario where these running back salaries stay anywhere near where they're at right now. And I could see teams getting to the point where they're just like, we wouldn't pay more than $5 million to a running back, right? Yeah. I mean, and also, it's also, I think, the positions defensively that are more involved in stopping the run, the interior defensive line, the off-ball linebackers, those, you know, that aren't elite in coverage. I think those are the positions that are going to continue to decline in value as it all goes to the quarterback. Okay, so let me give you a take based upon this Kirk Cousins uh, uh, extension and, and just the general tenor around quarterbacks across the NFL, right? You see, like, looking at this, I mean, you see the Sam Darnold number, right? Like, there are some numbers that are kind of shocking when you see them. But the places that you see value are consistently with players on their rookie deals across yeah. the board. Because the Josh, rookie deals don't change depending on your position until the fifth-year option, which, by the way, for both Sam Darnold and another player we're going to talk about, that's the fifth-year option that had to get picked up before last season. Is Dak still on a rookie deal? 
No, Dak, Dak signed a new deal. Wow, he's getting criminally underpaid. But the players who, who far exceed their value at quarterback, right? It is Josh Allen. It's Kyler Murray. It's Joe Burrow. It's probably Tua at this point. Uh, Justin Herbert by a massive amount. Probably Fields. Mac Jones. Jameis, because he signed that short deal with the Saints, right? Like those types of quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts making $1.6 and being a, a playoff caliber starting quarterback in the NFL is a huge win for the rest of the roster. So you, are you looking at Dak's base salary last year? Dak's base maybe. salary last year was 1.6 million. It jumps it, this year to 31 million. Okay. But even still, like that's he still has a criminal. $49 million cap. Head. That is He's not, so- let's not use that phrase whatsoever with regard to Dak Prescott. He's doing fine. It's a 40 million annual average. I still think he's underpaid, but, but, I mean, maybe a little. The place that you get value is by drafting quarterbacks. And so if the Seahawks are trying to go out and find a quarterback in free agency, they're going to have to pay somewhere near fair market value for that quarterback. And this is going to, you know, the conversation that we're going to have about who we're interested in finding. I just don't think there there aren't deals out there necessarily. You might be able to sign somebody on, on a shorter term deal, like the Jameis deal, right? To be able to get like a one year rehabilitate your reputation type of contract. But long term, if there's any success, those players become a massive number. However, if you go out in the draft and you draft a quarterback and they're your starting quarterback and they have any any amount of value, you have gained additional value beyond that contract. And it's one of the most important things you can do in the draft. The risk you're taking is that the very worst quarterbacks in the league are all rookies and players in their first few years. And you might, you know, think you're draft, you might get stuck with a player who's like just good enough that you can't cut bait right away. And you have a terrible quarterback for three or four years, like happened with the Jets with Sam Darnold. But whatever, like Sam Darnold still had value and they traded him. They traded Sam Darnold for a first round pick. The, The point is they lost all those seasons. I guess so. But like, the, the risk is the benefits are greater than the risk. You don't have to start Sam Darnold. The Seahawks absolutely in, in practice, you have to start Sam Darnold. The ninth pick in the draft, they need to draft a quarterback because there's basically no other position that they could get that much additional value from the pick from as they could from a quarterback. If they already had a quarterback, it'd be one thing. But as a team without a quarterback, they need to draft a quarterback with that pick. It would be a waste of a pick otherwise. I don't agree with that assessment. If, if I think the, you need market to tra- the is, answer is you need to trade down. The answer is always you need to trade down. But why? Why? The, and what? Where are they going to spend their money? I trade do down th- and draft another quarterback? I mean, if you have a fairly paid quarterback, that's okay if you're getting enough surplus value from other positions. Who are the fairly paid quarterbacks, though? Where are these fairly paid quarterbacks? Because what we're talking about right now are, I, I, we don't know what the numbers are going to be for somebody like Jameis out there, but these are going to be- It's not going to be 35 million. I guarantee it, you it that. It probably will not be 35 million, but it's going to be a big number for Jameis, presumably. I am not as confident in that. We're in a world where Carson Wentz is worth the equivalent of the 17th pick in the draft. People think Carson Wentz is safer than Jameis. I mean, he isn't coming off an ACI. We'll give that to Carson Wentz. Also, people just keep chasing what Carson Wentz was before his own ACL injury. 
So they talk themselves into it. So I don't, I don't think you can necessarily say because teams make a bad decision here, therefore they're going to make the same bad decision about someone else. I, I don't buy that equivalency. I, well, he's also a black quarterback. So um, that is also the, the elephant in the room here. Yes. But, but the reality is getting a quarterback on that team friendly deal is the most important thing you could do. Because you're freeing up the money to go spend that money elsewhere for five years, right? To be able to go out and free agency. But if and only if that player is good. And the odds of that player being good are not nearly as high as you're making now. It's be. worth the risk to do it every single year. It is worth the risk to draft. But you can't do that because of the fact that teams aren't thinking in that way in terms of sunk cost. I mean, if you were really move, willing to move on that quickly from quarterbacks, we only very rarely see it. Josh Rosen being the most notable example. But I'm Josh Rosen that- also wasn't drafted at the number nine pick. He was drafted much later in the first round. I'm saying that teams are not accurately valuing how much a quarterback on uh, a was, team. He was taken with the 10th pick. I was going to say, I thought Josh, I was just about to go look that up. I was going to say, I thought Josh Rosen was the nice pick. <laughs> well, but, but if they draft a quarterback that they don't like, I mean, I think year, you're underestimating how, I mean, I just said that the bears drafted maybe their quarterback in the future in fields, but I think you're underestimating how awkward a situation is when you draft a quarterback, they play poorly their first year but it's too early to pull the plug on them. You know, you're just kind that of stuck in this has purgatory. first round value for a lot longer than you think. First or second round value. We've seen it. We have seen it. Did Sam Darnold show okay, you but if anything you, and was still worth a first they, round pick? Are you sure they got a first round pick for Sam Darnold? Let's see. Let's see what they got for Sam Darnold. They got a 2022 second round pick. Fine, a second round pick. The, the difference but if you start between... with the second second overall pick or the third overall pick, I think because Saquon was the second pick, right? And then you <laughs> trade that for a second round pick after three years of terrible performance. That's a huge loss. You've set your franchise back. It is five not years. a huge loss. It was worth because the risk. The... What's the difference if because the Jets had, had three such... years of Sam Darnold playing poorly, and then you drafted Zach Wilson and he didn't play well for a year? Like, again, you're losing half a decade here. This is the only way to win a Super Bowl. Or I, there are other things to do besides win a Super Bowl. And also the team that won the Super Bowl, they drafted a quarterback. The Minnesota didn't Vikings. Win the Super Bowl with him and then traded him for a fairly paid quarterback and won the Super Bowl. That's the team that just won the Super Bowl. Not since Mahomes with the Chiefs has a team won the Super Bowl with a quarterback on their rookie contract. I mean, it's if it was every year it was a different team that was doing this with a quarterback on their rookie contract, okay. No, the, the other way to do it is to build up a very, very, very good team and then bring in a veteran quarterback. So the other option could be that the Seahawks draft so well with this ninth pick or whatever they turn the ninth pick into and they build up such a good roster that they end up being a quarterback away which i'm not saying is necessarily a terrible place to be but you really have to hit on it there like we're still talking about the vikings when you have to hit on nine and And then paid the dominant 35 million dollars the dominant factor with any strategy in the nfl in any pro sport is luck the dominant strategy Right, I do. We, I do agree that a good a good strategy does seem to be building up a very good roster and being a quarterback away because usually you can lure a quarterback at that point. I mean, and we're in a mark in an era now of greater quarterback movement. That's one of the things the takeaways from this offseason, I think. So, 
the moves have left us left us with at least six teams searching for a starting quarterback this offseason. Carolina, Indianapolis, New Orleans, the Giants, Pittsburgh with Ben Roethlisberger's retirement, and the Seahawks, as well as possibly the Browns. We'll talk about that in a second. And the 49ers, despite them having a having made the NFC Championship game and drafted a quarterback number three overall last year, still could be in the market for a quarterback starter. rich. Uh well, the trade options, and we're going to talk about these in terms of their projected EPA. I, I put together using uh, stats from Ben Baldwin's website, rbsdm.com, the uh, combined completion percentage over expected and adjusted EPA. If you use those to project what a player's EPA is going to be in the future. Uh, so there were 45 quarterbacks who played at least 50 snaps last year and therefore qualified for this list. Over that group, Drew Locke ranked 37th. Uh, okay. with the four of the eight behind him being rookies. The number four player on that list was Jimmy Garoppolo. Wow. Who will make $25.6 million next season in the last year of his contract, potentially on the trade market, presumably going to cost more than Carson Wentz, but it's actually a pretty reasonable contract at this point. It's, it's interesting, Jimmy Garoppolo, because <clears throat> I feel like he gets dinged because of Kyle Shanahan when Kyle Shanahan has been nowhere near as successful with the other quarterbacks in the system. I will note that uh, Nick Mullins finished 25th in these rankings. That's a pretty significant difference though. It's a, it's both 20, 25th to fourth. You're talking about it's like both Drew about Locke 20 spots Wilson. higher than I think Nick Mullins would be elsewhere and 20 spots behind Jimmy Garoppolo. I just, Kyle Shanahan as a coach who's made the playoffs two times ever. It's not like this And they were Shanahan, both when Garoppolo was helping. I, I, don't, I don't really buy that you could just take any quarterback and put them into the Kyle Shanahan system and they will be a phenomenal quarterback. I'm pretty skeptical about Trey Lance, personally. Like, I think there is a good shot that after this offseason, the Seahawks still end up with the third best quarterback in the NFC West. That's plausible. And I, I think if they, I mean, this is going to be maybe a hot take. I think if they got Jimmy Garoppolo, they would have the best quarterback in the NFC West. That that hot, that take might be a little too hot. Uh, you might want to bring that one back a little bit. But again, by this measure, he would be the best. H- highest yards per attempt of any regular quarterback over the last three seasons, according to Pro Football Reference. Fourth in completion percentage in that span. But besides for the fact that he's played terribly against the Seahawks over and over again, the fact that interceptions are a problem seems to be a negative with a coach who is obsessed with avoiding turnovers to the point of not letting Russell I Wilson know. pass. Cross Jameis off. God, no. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that. We're going to get to Jameis. Uh, the number I two... really, really don't think Pete Carroll can look at that 2020 Jameis season. And, okay. What okay. about the 2000? It was a 2019 Jameis season. The 2021 Jameis season was a different story. Number 20 on this list, Gardner Minshew, WOC's finest. Entering the final year of his rookie contract, making $2.5 million is the backup to Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia. And just kind of the epitome of an adequate NFL quarterback. Like, to me, if you draft a quarterback but don't want to play them right away, Gardner Minshew is the kind of guy you want. I mean, how the Jaguars let Gardner Minshew go is absurd to me for the little that they got in return for him. Because this is, if you want to meet in the middle of... I, I guess you don't get the long-term value that you would get with drafting a rookie quarterback as in the potential of massive potential, but like Gardner Minshew with playing time presume there's a chance that he could be a much better quarterback than he's been right. He is also an extraordinarily cheap quarterback. 
right? You could spend so much money elsewhere on the roster if you have Gardner Minshew as your quarterback. And we know that he's not terrible. We, we, fair, we have a pretty high degree of certainty that Gardner Minshew is not going to be an awful quarterback. He's, he's in the most of his window of success, right? There's the like football outsiders, like bust, uh, uh, similar level or boom or whatever. There's still a chance that Gardner Minshew becomes a much better quarterback. Like it wouldn't shock anybody if he was a pro bowler next year, right? I think it would shock me if Gardner Minshew was a pro bowler next year. It would shock you? Yeah, it would shock me. I think Gardner Minshew kind of is what he is. Which is, fi- which is fine. But I mean, there's he has one year left on his deal. I would I would trade a fourth round pick for Gardner Minshew in a heartbeat. That that's the other thing. It's like Jimmy G is definitely younger than Ross, right? Yes. Possibly quite he's like six years younger than Ross. So Jimmy G should have more long-term value. Oh, he's not that much younger. He's he's 30. He's 30. So he's four years younger than Ross. But he probably has a little bit more long-term value in age capacity. Obviously, hasn't been as good of a player as Russ has been over that time period. But you do have to look at it and say, wow. I, you can't give up as much. They can't give up that ninth pick for Jimmy G. But is Jimmy G worth some sort of package of second and third round picks? He probably is. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, number 22 on this list. Two spots behind Gardner Mitchell. Baker Mayfield entering that 18.9 million rookie option. Seventh the last three seasons in yards per completions, but 43rd in completion percentage, 45th in interception rate. Uh, even if the Browns decide to move on, this does not feel like a Pete Carroll quarterback. Well, and also just, again, you're talking about either you've given, they'll have to give up assets for Baker Mayfield. For sure. And you've either A, which look, the Seahawks have been very, very bad at doing this roster building wise have to give up a significant, a fairly, fairly significant amount of assets just to pay ba- Baker Mayfield the next year if he's right. good. Or have him be bad and then you've paid assets for one season of Baker Mayfield. Like, the Baker Mayfield is just, it, he's kind of an albatross right now. I think the best case scenario is he plays out one year for the Browns, sees what he is, and then if he's good, the Browns need to keep Baker Mayfield because if he plays one more year and he's good, then they can franchise him and lock him up long-term. If he's bad, they can move the fuck on. Yep. Uh, He's always going to be more valuable to the Browns than he's going to be to anybody else. Agreed. Sam Darnold, just to mention him here, because his name has come up from time to time in the past five days, 41st on this list, one of the four non-rookies behind Drew Locke in terms of EPA projection. He's got that 18.9 million option for this year. He was very bad with the Jets and after a hot start, just as bad in Carolina. And we will talk in a second about why you can't say the infrastructure in Carolina was the reason for that. Wow. Okay. If we move Sam into Darnold, the... I, I would rather have Drew Locke than Sam Darnold. Yes. Uh, because he's at least cheap this season. Should we move into the free agent section? Okay. Let's start with the man that Sam Darnold replaced in Carolina and the man that Russell Wilson is replacing in Denver, Teddy Bridgewater, who's number eight. In Where does Russ EU went rank EP. on this list, by the way? Uh, he ranks behind Teddy Bridgewater, but that's also, it's heavily weighted towards last season. I can't, I, one point, I, at, oh, wow. I at one point re-ran it because I like, was like, I was looking at this in part because I was going to make, I was considering making the case in our season ending podcast with Ben that like, should the Seahawks consider turning Russ? But once you take out the injury games, he is back up, I think, in the top five or six. So the answer was no. 
has completed 68% of his passes the last three seasons, six in that span. The Panthers went from 27th in offensive DVOA in 2019 to 17th, the year that Bridgewater was there, and then back to 31st after his departure with Darnold. And then the Broncos, when he went there, jumped from 30th to 12th in offensive DVOA. As we talked about last week, they were actually better offensively than they were defensively. And granted, well, they have that bonded receiving core that attracted Russell Wilson. It didn't seem to help Drew Locke very much. So I think Teddy Bridgewater is just a good NFL quarterback at this point. But why, like, aside from the obvious... <laughs> Well, there's the health issues and the lack of size. I mean, he's like, he's never going to be physically. They traded for Russell Wilson, the lack of size. <laughs> yeah, I think it's because he wears won. two gloves. Russell Wilson won a Super Bowl. I think that's a part of it, too. If Teddy, if Teddy Bridgewater size. had been drafted 15 picks higher, if he hadn't been drafted in that Seahawks draft pick at the end of the draft, I think Teddy Bridgewater would be perceived, his whole career would be perceived totally differently. It would be perceived I, differently. I do, I, I do I have to know quarterbacks healthy. that teams have given up on before. Teams never seem to give up on Carson Wentz. Teams never seem to give up on Sam Darnold. Jameis Winston, teams were very quick to give up on. Teddy Bridgewater, teams seemed very quick to give up on, despite success for both of them. I mean, the Colts were, in fact, very quick to move on from Carson Wentz. It's just that they paid a high price. To Somebody get him else in the first place. is willing to go uh, pay yes. value for him, though. I mean, Teddy also did get a three-year, $63 million deal from the Panthers. So I don't know what they were expecting that they, they didn't get, that they decided to move on there, but uh, they, they made that decision. Uh, I, I don't mean, think t- his Teddy Bridgewater has be a better DVOA than Josh Allen last year. I, I think it, Teddy's... It's, it's a little wild how we've just anointed Josh Allen because of one playoff game. I'm like, did everybody forget the regular season where the Bills kind of sucked? Don't think I would. They lost to the fucking Jaguars. I mean, a lot of Josh Allen's value is running, which is not in DVOA, which is a reason not to look at the DVOA in this context. As I mean, you can add them together, but that's the nice thing about. uh, Yeah, I mean, he was pretty dominant in both terms of both EPA and completion percentage over expected last year. I I don't want to hear any Josh Allen slander on this podcast. Fine. Okay, where's Teddy? On this list. He was seventh oh. last year on CPOE. Yeah, he was. I mean, he was seventh overall last year in the composite of those two. So he's not that far off from Josh Allen. He is three <laughs> spots behind Josh Allen. Josh Allen's in a different tier, though. There's a there's a tier of five that somehow includes or a cutoff after the top five that somehow includes Garoppolo, but it's Allen, Burrow, Mahomes, and Aaron Rodgers are the other four, or the other three. Joe Burrow. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think Teddy Bridgewater is, he makes the, the best version of the Seahawks next year includes Teddy Bridgewater, I think, because you don't have to give up picks to get him. And I don't think he would still be as quite as expensive as Garoppolo. And I don't think there's a dramatic difference between them in terms of performance. Uh, 19th on this list checking in is Jameis Winston. And so much of the question with Winston is, was last year real or not? He had three interceptions on 161 attempts last year after throwing 30 on 626 attempts during that 2019 epic historic. Tampa How Bay many season. of those 161 attempts were to Alvin Kamara in that Seahawks game? <laughs> like it had to be a solid like 50 attempts. 
The other thing that happened last year is Winston had a flukishly high rate of touchdowns. 9% of his passes went for touchdowns. Uh, no other quarterback with more than 50 attempts had a rate over 7%. So I think that did goose his EPA a little bit. Also all in that Packers game. Uh, and then, I mean, the most important factor with Jameis here is that he suffered an ACL tear on Halloween. So it's going to be a race for him to be back in time for training camp. And it could affect him into the regular season. It's, it's plausible. So you factor that in with his market wasn't very good last offseason uh, when he re-signed with, Tam- with uh, New Orleans for five and a half million, I believe. I, I think he's certainly the value option here. I, we'll see. I, I'm curious to see how much, I mean, both these quarterbacks, both Teddy and Jameis, I think it'll be very fascinating to see what the market looks like for them. I agree. Uh, there are three guys who are not ranked because they did not throw enough passes, but are potential starting quarterback options next year. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick has been awesome pretty much any time he's played in the last five years after being middling at best much of his career prior to that. But he is going to turn 40 in November and suffered a season-ending hip subluxation in the 2021 season opener. Not sure he'll be ready for the start of the season or what his physical status is, but he's, he's there as an option. I mean, <clears throat> also not a very Pete Carroll quarterback. Love Ryan, Ryan Fitzpatrick, obviously. Fitzmagic is strong. If you could go out and get two of these quarterbacks, if you're Pete Carroll and you're just like, I love competition, and you can get a couple of these quarterbacks for $8 million, something in that range. I mean, Fitzmagic should be one of them. Fitzmagic Minshew battle for the training camp, for the job in training camp. Uh, Marcus Mariota was really kind of fairly average his first four years in the NFL before collapsing in his last season in Tennessee prior to being benched for Ryan Tannehill. Went 17 of 28 for 226 yards, had nine carries for 88 yards in his lone start during two seasons with the Raiders. I would talk myself into Marcus Mariota quite easily. Love Mariota. Again, it still doesn't really make sense to me why somebody like Carson Wentz carries so much value and Sam Darnold carries value, but Mariota doesn't. Who was a high draft pick. He was the number two pick. No, it it really doesn't. Again, except for the obvious. (laughs) Oh, no. It doesn't really <laughs> make sense to me why Mariota has been sort of shuffled aside as a clear backup when he should, he should be kind of in that mix as somebody who is in sort of the carousel of quarterbacks that all those other players are in. Well, you'll never guess what quarterback people are talking themselves into this year. This shit right here, like... It's Mitchell Trubisky, who is 43rd <sighs> in yards per attempt over the last three seasons, has only been above average in either EPA or CPOA during that magical 2018 Bears season. Was but he even because, that good in that season? No, he was legitimately good in that season. Okay. But it was really out of line with the rest of his career. Got close to average in his last year with Chicago when he was the MVP of their playoff loss to the Saints in the, uh, the Slime Bowl. Uh, and just because of the fact that he looked pretty good in you know, coming off the bench behind Josh Allen this year and didn't like, he didn't screw anything up last year because he didn't have anything to do. And now people are talking themselves into him. It's great. I love the NFL. So that's the quarterback. People are talking themselves into Mitchell Trubisky in a way that they're not with some of these other quarterbacks who have proven success. Yep. Maybe Trubisky does. I don't, I don't know. I mean, that I, was sure a, it's possible. It was a phenomenal 2018 season. It did. The Cleo Mac trade made, made me chuckle. 
about giving up draft picks for players, especially linebackers, where it's just like, that shit is really bananas. I, I mean, mean, at least he affects the passing game with his sacks, hypothetically. But people yeah. talk about the Amari Cooper trade as if the Cowboys won that trade. And then, I mean, it, at least they got value from Amari Cooper for a couple of years. But just how quickly player value diminishes, it is wild. Once you get into, once you get past that rookie contract, right? Yeah. Player value diminishes so quickly. And as you always say, you don't probably don't even say this enough. You trade for contracts, not players. And it, and it is wild. Mac to- the biggest contract ever for an edge rusher maybe the biggest contract ever for a defender when he that was that was up there with the closest to an nba trade like they didn't have to attach picks to send him away but that was like i i i think the nfl is moving a lot closer to the nba this offseason for yes it has been for a long period of time but it it certainly continues but some of these like salary dump type trades that are happening where people are just like wow we really straight up we're just a bad team and are paying cleo mac how much you know, like this is not a luxury we can afford ourselves is to have Cleo Mack here. Yeah, and he just paid defense biggest defensive contract of all time when he was extended. And gutted their draft picks for it. And then you look at the Raiders team, who are a fairly deep team overall. Okay, so based upon who the Seahawks potential starting quarterback is heading into the 2022 season we kind of have two different scenarios for how they approach the offseason right there's the scenario where and i think either way they probably pick up a veteran quarterback but there's the scenario where they use that ninth pick on uh malik willis or a kenny pickett or a desmond ritter or whatever and it maybe not the ninth pick but a first round draft pick on one of those quarterbacks and also knowing that given the value thing that we just talked about making sure that that pick happens in the first round is an important thing they don't want to wait until second round pick one to draft a quarterback. You want to get that quarterback at the end of the first round if you're trading down to get that extra year in case they are very good, right? Yes. The other option is they go out and they get somebody like Teddy Bridgewater, a little bit more of maybe he's not the long-term answer at quarterback. You might say he's a bridge quarterback. And they're really going to try to compete this year. So those are kind of the two options heading into this offseason. I think we sort of need to look at it as free agency based upon both. I'm sure that the CX will probably try to half-ass both of these things and shove them all into one. But the reality is they're either rebuilding, talking about that schedule that I was looking at earlier. CX are aware of that schedule, right? They're not unaware of what they have waiting for them in the fall and who's on it. They're also and, aware of the NFC West. And But we know that Pete is an optimist always, right? Or do they try to compete? So that, that's kind of like, are, are we tanking in 2022 or are we fighting for a playoff spot? I think the offseason can go in two different ways and they probably could achieve both of those goals. I don't think they'd ever say or even say internally that they're tanking. I think they could look at it as like 2010 where it was like, we need to reshuffle all these players in and out of the roster, get our kind of guys in here, create competition, <laughs> see who emerges uh-huh. But they knew that we're all trying to find the guy who did this <laughs> or even 2011. Like, I think they, were, they probably knew going into that season, Tavares Jackson was not the long-term answer at quarterback, but he allowed them to compete that season while developing everyone else and figuring things out at quarterback. And then they signed Matt Flynn and solved it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's actually a pretty good comparison though. Cause there is a chance that they just 
really gut this roster and start over again. I don't think they're going to gut the roster, but again, I think they might. I think there is probably an element of Pete Carroll that's like, I miss 2010 and 2011. They were fun as hell. I mean, look, 2010 and 2011 were really fun. If you could go out there and draft Hall of Fame caliber players, (laughs) then do that again. I don't know if that's the most sustainable thing, right? Or if that's a replicable plan. But I, I suppose I could see them thinking that that was a possibility. You're saying we're drafting a fucking safety with the ninth pick because Jesus Christ. I mean, if it's Earl Thomas 2.0, then I, I think it's worth it. They, they managed to find basically the one safety. I don't know if he's the only one. Uh, okay, so moving on to running back. We talked about this a fair bit in the offseason preview. Rashad Penny hitting the free agency after his phenomenal end of last season. Again, hearing Pete Carroll talk about it at the Combine. There's no way that letting Rashad Penny get away. He's going to be back. It's just a question of how much and whether that's so much that they feel like they have to move on from Chris Carson, where they could save $3.1 million if they released him and brought in you know, some other veteran at the minimum instead. I think they will probably view Rashad Penny as either of those scenarios an important player because they will view the running back as an important player no matter what. But they'll say if they're if they're going through a semi-rebuild, if they have a young quarterback, they're going to say we need Rashad Penny there for them to rely on, right? Or if they're bringing in a more veteran quarterback, they'll say this is what we do. We run the ball and we play action. We need Rashad Penny there. there there's just no scenario that they could frame it, that they didn't need Rashad Penny. The flow chart, either direction, it heads yes. to Rashad Penny. Yes. It's it's like a bunch of if questions, if this go to that, and every single one ends at resign Rashad Penny. What, what do you think a flow chart is? Okay, yeah, sure, that's a flow chart. Uh, they you did have a big under- circle. You did a big circle. Okay, <laughs> maybe my gesture wasn't, wasn't appropriate. Uh, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Dwayne Eskridge, Freddie Swain under contract, no free agents of note. Now that they don't have Russell Wilson pushing them to go out and sign star veteran receivers, I don't think that's going to happen. Although, who knows? Maybe Josh Gordon comes back. It it always is a possibility. Isn't he signed with the Broncos or the Chiefs? Did he sign for this season? I believe he did. Oh, he did five days ago. Well, I missed that. The one thing that the Seahawks have as a selling point to any potential quarterbacks that they're luring trade for agency, et cetera, is those wide receivers. Right. I mean, it's basically, if you look at the entire roster, if you were to say to yourself, is there one position group that we could confidently say the Seahawks are above average at? It is wide receiver. Yep. I, I don't think you can confidently say it about any other position group on the entire roster. Maybe safety. Well, not not going into free agency, maybe coming out of free agency. It probably, even with Jamal Adams going into free agency, they probably are still an above average. Just safeties. Hope. Not whole secondary. Just safeties. You would hope. Anyway, the, the wide receivers, having those players under contract are, is important. If we see them go out and trade Tyler Lockett in free agency, then... It's then a it's rebuild. a rebuild. Yeah. No, I mean, Bobby Wagner did not mean it was a rebuild. T- Tyler Lockett is the line. He's the exact line. It's, it's the t- above or below the Tyler Lockett line. I mean, I suppose hypothetically if they traded DK as well, but I, I think, if, I I mean, think that's, the extension's it's, it's an obvious rebuild if they trade DK. Yeah. 
It's a uh, it's a full rebuild at that point. Uh, tight end bringing in Noah Fant in the Wilson trade. I, I have to read is a sign that Gerald Everett is not going to be back after his one year deal. I still think they'll probably bring bring back Will Disley because I'm just going to go ahead and venture the guess that the Seahawks value Will Disley more than any other team in the NFL. Yes. Uh, they also have Colby Parkinson under contract after he played a little last season. Offensive line. A lot of question marks here with Dwayne Brown, Brandon Shell, Ethan Posick, all free agents after starting at the end of or the, the bulk of last season, as well as restricted free agent Phil Haynes, who uh, Tom Pelissero of NFL Network was the first to report last week that the Seahawks used an original round tender on him, uh, a fourth round pick in 2019. He started week 17 and week 18 at left guard in place of Damian Lewis. So who knows exactly what this means the Seahawks are thinking, but possibly some position reshuffling so that you end up filling that center spot. Uh, even though they already have guards seemingly covered with Gabe Jackson and Lewis. Uh, but tackles, a huge question mark. We talked at the end of the season. They ran the ball really well with Jake Curran in the starting lineup in place of Brandon Shell at the end of last season. Whether that means they actually feel like they can count on him as a starter is tough to say. There, there are some, some very talented left tackles on the market, and, and including in addition to Brown, you've got Toronto Armstrong is out there, Trent Brown, Eric Fisher. So there are some options if they decide to spend money on this position group, but uh, that, that's obviously not been the Seahawks MO historically. As hilarious it would be if they suddenly started investing a bunch in offensive line as soon as Russell Wilson left. Yeah, I think it'll be a fascinating one. Uh, I think they're going to definitely wait to see what the market look, looks like for Dwayne Brown. And if it's a huge market, they're probably going to let Dwayne Brown go at this point. Uh, I mean, that's another position you could seek to address with the ninth pick. It it really is. It's an interesting luxury to have Dwayne Brown because it, kind of either way, it's always good to have a good veteran offensive lineman. But is this the roster when you're honestly talking to yourself where you're saying, is Dwayne Brown the difference? Right. Is Dwayne is investing in, uh, is he 38, 37, I think a 37 year old left tackle. Is that actually going to do anything for us here? You know, it'd be nice to have him around, especially if there was a young quarterback or if you're trying to compete, obviously having him around would be great, but he's not, he's not going to be the next time the Seahawks make the playoffs. Dwayne Brown will probably not be their left tackle. The odds, the odds are against that. I would agree. All right, defensive line on the interior, Al Woods, the free agent here. They have Puna, did you know Puna Ford has the highest cap hit of any Seahawks player for the moment? That's wild. <laughs> that is a shocking piece of information. Uh, the newly acquired Shelby Harris, Kerry Hyder, LJ Collier, all in the mix there. Uh, I, I definitely think they will try to re-sign Woods and will probably bring him back despite the fact that he also is in his 30s. Edge, a more interesting position. The Seahawks have several players under contract here. Carlos Dunlap, Benson Mayo, Daryl Taylor, Alton Robinson, Rasheem Green, the one free agent of note. But there are a lot of free agent, uh, a lot of quality pass rushers on the market. Chandler Jones and Von Miller in the division. Hassan Reddick is someone that uh, Shil Kapati of The Athletic mentioned as a possibility for the Seahawks and his free agent fits. Uh, is someone who would be, a, you know, kind of a little more operating a little lower in that group, but still a you know, a more proven pass rusher than some of the players on the Seahawks roster. It will be interesting to see how much they view this as a position they need to upgrade this offseason. Again, another place where is this a luxury the Seahawks can really afford? And, you know, 
those players are going to be paid fair market value if they're coming to Seattle. Like, I mean, I, I do think that Von Miller might not be paid what he used to be because of his age. You know, he's probably looking at a short-term deal. I, I think that one is plausible. We'll see, you know, whether he resigns at the Rams. There's been talk about him going back to Denver after being traded last season. So, you know, maybe no, it that feels a little too destined almost, but the, they go out, they get Russell Wilson and then bring back Von Miller. Like, come on. It's almost my favorite tanking play in the NBA in like the NBA. Like your, your season's going nowhere. So you trade someone who's about to be a free agent and then just resign them. Oh, everybody wins too. Von Miller won a fucking Super Bowl. Yeah. Right. The Von Miller went off, about that. went a Super Bowl and could come back and play with Russell Wilson. Like, God, we should cheer for the Broncos, but <laughs> still time. There's plenty of but, time. We'll see. Maybe if one transaction happens, I don't think the Seahawks have put themselves in the position publicly to be able to go out and sign a player, especially at the linebacker position and really go compete in free agency for anybody who's, if it's a 50, 50 thing, if you have, if you're close on money, are you going to go to the team that just recently bothered publicly? You think that Von Miller doesn't have Bobby Wagner's phone number because he does, right? Like, those conversations are happening around the league. The Seahawks reputation as a place that you really want to go to. I, I think it is a transforming reputation. The way that they, that they treated KJ and Bobby at the end of their careers, especially at that position, like a player like Von Miller is not coming here. This, the Seahawks look like a fucking clown, clown show to the rest of the league. I mean, obviously if they actually didn't inform Bobby Wagner before he found out publicly, like, that's unacceptable. And, you know, Pete Carroll should read this book that would help him learn how to manage things. It's Do you called think Win he's Forever. lying? I don't think he's lying. No. I'm just, but we haven't heard the Seahawks side of the story, I guess is what I would say about it. I, I do think like people probably had these same concerns when Richard Sherman left the way that he did Michael Bennett, Earl Thomas. And then the Seahawks went out and signed Kerry Hyder and Akello Witherspoon. But they were Fuck still a here. place that people wanted to play. I People were excited. They just more often got traded here than signed here as free agents because the Seahawks just don't like free agency that much. It's Odell like Beckham were... Jr. had a chance to come sign in Seattle and chose not to do it. There have been plenty of free agents who could have signed in Seattle. Well, I mean, there's going to be plenty of free agents who have a chance to sign literally everywhere. There's 32 fucking teams. Not that many of them are going to sign with any one individual team. I don't think people are like scratching the Seahawks off their list because of the fact that they haven't treated players well enough. The check's still clear. Yeah, the check's clear, but that's what I'm saying. You have to pay the highest check. I think you usually have to pay the highest check. But what? Okay, why do you pay the highest check to not have a quarterback and sign Von Miller? Like, literally, what are you getting out of that? You're getting if you don't think quarterbacks matter. <laughs> if your whole philosophy dates to the 1970s. <laughs> QBSDM. <laughs> That's Pete Carroll's website. Oh, no, I feel like someone might actually start that. <laughs> At linebacker, uh, obviously, they've lost Bobby Wagner. Uh, under contract, Jordan Brooks, Cody Barton. Uh, some notable free agents include... Bobby Wagner. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. He's not even a Seahawks free agent anymore. I, I do think people, I'm whatever you set the line at on Bobby Wagner's next contract, I'm taking the under. What if I set it at nine and a half million? For 2022 salary? Yes. I might take the under on that. Really? I think people are, I mean, I told you, I think the off ball market 
off-ball linebacker market is evolving, maybe not as quickly as I think. I think you're wrong on that one. I think he gets paid over ten million. We'll see. There'll be a team who feels like they're one player away, and that Bobby Wagner looks like that one player. They're probably in the fucking NFC West. The Cowboys are supposedly out of the bidding because they can't afford it financially, but who knows what that means exactly? I mean, I believe that, right? Like the Cowboys are looking at moving on from Lael Collins, and yeah, I mean they're they're in a rough cap situation, and they're trading Amari Cooper. Like, it's just wild. They could have just had Tony Pollard as their running back. That was it. Yeah. Yep. That's the case. Bobby's, Bobby is going to get paid. I wouldn't be shocked if he ended up in Denver. I don't know what their cap space looks like. But uh, the other interesting question here is did the Seahawks see enough from Cody Barton in week 17 or week 18, the 17th game, to feel comfortable moving forward with him as a starter at this position as opposed to bringing in someone or drafting someone? I don't know. I couldn't tell you either, but I can tell you that we're, we're not talking about a Super Bowl contending team right now. When we're having <laughs> no, the Cody, no, the Cody Barton that. conversation, like we're not talking about a roster so good that Tom Brady or Matt Stafford's going to come in and take you to the Super Bowl after that. Right? I mean, if Tom Brady came here, I'd feel like the Seahawks would be legit Super Bowl contenders, but uh, yes, he's sure. not coming here. But you understand the types of players that say the Buccaneers have at linebacker or on their defensive line. It took them years. It took them years to build up this level of talent. And the Seahawks don't have that. They have not had the draft capital. They've traded it mostly for Jamal Adams. They have not had the draft capital and they have not drafted well enough to have that kind of talent. But when we're having the, did we see enough from Cody Barton conversation? It's a different conversation than other teams around the league are having. I'm aware. Cornerback. DJ Reed and Sidney Jones, both unrestricted free agents this offseason. Seahawks do have Trey Brown under contract coming back from the knee injury that ended his rookie campaign. Uh, presumably set at nickel with Ugo Mati, Marquise Blair also coming back from injury. But where the market goes for DJ Reed, whether this is a place that they feel like they want to add another veteran or they're comfortable with Trey Brown you know, projecting as a starter, those are all questions. A lot of notable cornerbacks on the market this year. J.C. Jackson, his former uh, Patriots counterpart, Stephon Gilmore, Darius Williams from the Rams, who's been uh, a bit of a, a thorn in Russell Wilson's side at times. Uh, Shield linked the Seahawks to Rasul Douglas, who spent last season with the Packers. I did go looking for whether there were any like Bears or Broncos guys who had been, had experience in Fangio style schemes, and the answer is no, not really. So <laughs> fair enough. And Rasul Douglas was the player who'd been released midseason, right, and then caught on with the Packers. He was, yeah, he was signed in October. So. Uh, a surprising season where he ended up leading the NFL in defensive touchdowns or at least touchdowns off interceptions. Be an interesting one. I think the Seahawks will go out of their way to re-sign DJ Reed. And I think they feel pretty good about Trey Brown. I hope they've learned their lesson on trying to sign outside cornerbacks. It just doesn't work for them. I mean, I, this is the one place that I wouldn't be shocked. You know, when you go through all of the different position groups and players who are out there, like, I would be shocked if they tried to sign Chandler Jones. I'd be shocked if they tried to sign Hassan Reddick. I, I wouldn't be shocked if they were in the market for a cornerback. Almost as just like an acknowledging that they have not been that good at developing these players. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I guess we didn't really discuss who was out there as far as like edge rushers. Um, I guess we're, we're assuming that's Chandler Jones, right? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, you kept referring to Von Miller as a linebacker. I mean, he is a linebacker, but he's an edge rusher. I, I suppose they sort of fit in that Seahawks scheme that they're running as well. Um, but it, this is where, like, somebody like J.C. Jackson is the place where he's – J.C. Jackson is on the younger side, right? Yes. Like, I mean, the money that he's going to get paid, I think, is going to be market-setting money for a 26-year-old superstar cornerback who gets turnovers. he wasn't franchised, so – I mean, that's, I think that's a Bill Belichick understanding how to run a cap and other teams not. But I think there's a chance J.C. Jackson could end up as one of the three or four highest paid quarterbacks. I think that is very plausible. I agree. All right, safety under contract, Jamal Adams and Ryan Neal and Quandre Diggs, as we alluded to earlier, is a free agent and an interesting group of safeties that also includes the honey badger is kind of the top of the market. Uh, Marcus Williams of the saints who was franchised last year, also a pretty notable free agent out there. So uh, some, some other competition for Quandre Diggs, but uh, I, you know, I think he's going to be in for a decent payday coming off a strong season, strong couple of seasons with the Seahawks. Yeah. I hope they bring him back. Yeah, I mean, there was a report, uh, ESPN and their free agency buzz said that uh, there was definitely mutual interest in a return. So sounds like a possibility. I, I don't think, you know, again, like the idea that, you know, the departure of Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson is, that, is going to preclude that possibility. Probably not. Or in special teams, the Seahawks have Michael Dixon and Jason Myers under contract. Almost certainly going to be another uneventful offseason there. And that's it. That's that's the position groups. But uh, obviously, I think we made it clear all the all the attention is going to be on quarterback. What the Seahawks end up doing there, and then I think there probably will be a you know a free agent or two that comes in making more than five million a year from another team at a position that's not quarterback. But who that might be and what position that is between tackle, corner, edge rusher is. You know, it's a, a guessing game at this point, I would say. Overall, it's pretty bleak out there, people. <laughs> and I, I just... Was, this was the rationalization pod? I just don't... No, we, didn't, we haven't done that yet. I would be okay. happy to. Do you want me to do that right now? Um, overall, do, you want to, do you want to save that for Tuesday? Yeah, let's save the rationalization for Tuesday. We could, we could reassess. We, it's been a week since Russ was traded. How are we feeling now? Wow, but, the, the first seven days of the post-Russell Wilson era. But this roster is not a very good roster. And there are a number of players who are free agents on an already not very good roster. Right. I mean, I think the, I mean, the one thing that people got excited about is like, look, the Seahawks have all this cap space, but it's good if you have cap space. And because of the fact that your bad players had contracts that ended. If the reason you have cap space is because all of your good players' contracts ended, then you're not actually benefiting that much from having cap space because you got to either resign or resign or replace those players. Well, and also show some sort of willingness to go spend in free agency as well. Like the way that the Seahawks have done free agency for the last handful of seasons has been, it's been a failure, right? Like there's basically no free agent move that you can look at aside from potentially DJ Reed that you would say that was an I mean, unmitigated was, success. That was a waiver claim, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, as far as signing a player in free agency who they've gotten excess value upon their contract, maybe Brandon Shell, like he's been fine. Yeah, that's that's the best that they've gotten out of these players, right? The better moves that they've made have been waiver claims 
and trades. you know Carl, Carlos Dunlap, yeah. right? Like in low-level trades, which I think is a perfectly fine way to build a roster. If you want to be available for players that are being traded for fifth, sixth round picks, like that's a great way to build a roster. It's also not a possibility that we discussed is a way for them to use some of this cap space and fill some of these holes. I mean, you look at last season, Gabe Jackson would be another example of a trade that I think worked out. The wrong way to approach free agency, though, I think is the way that they have been approaching it is signing a lot of players, not getting any sort of supplemental picks down the road because they're signing too many players. I mean, sometimes they decide to to prioritize comp picks and then other years they decide not to and sign like eight players to $2 million contracts. It's been a while. Uh, and, I mean, the Earl Thomas year, they they got a bunch of comp picks that year. I think that was a while. I think that officially <laughs> counts that was as a while. while. <laughs> Fair. And I really look at it and I say, is this a better than the worst seven rosters in the NFL at this point. It would take a pretty massive overhaul for them to be a legit competitor in the NFC, even, you know, given the games that they have at home and the schedule that they're playing, it's not a great place to be. And I think the reality is one way or another, whether it happens this year, whether it happens next year, the year after that, the Seahawks are ready for a full teardown. And, you know, I guess my hope is probably that it happens sooner rather than later, depending on the quarterback market and a complete overhaul of what the roster looks like. Because at this point, these conversations that we're having of should they re-sign 37-year-old Dwayne Brown? Is Cody Barton the answer middle linebacker or whatever, off-ball linebacker? Like, these are not conversations that Super Bowl contending teams have. These are not conversations that NFC West contending teams have. And I think based upon those things, the Seahawks can fool themselves and think that they can, you know, patchwork everything together for one more offseason. But the reality is they can't. It cannot happen. They have to take this capital that they got from the Broncos and turn it into probably more picks beyond that. And they have to hit on some of those picks and actually rebuild the depth with young players because that is what they have not done. As far as players you could say are confidently in the Seahawks' long-term vision as an organization or sitting at, Jamal Adams, probably, DK Metcalf, Jordan Brooks, Noah Fant. Yeah. Like, that's really it. And these aren't necessarily it. Did you say Daryl Taylor? Did you say him? Oh, Daryl Taylor, yes. Yeah, Daryl Taylor. Like, there are a handful of nice pieces on the roster, but even of those players, are are any of those all-pro caliber players? maybe at their absolute best, maybe, you know, many of them have never made pro bowls before. So it's just, it's a bleak scenario heading into free agency. And I think the only way to fix it would be if they are going to invest is to invest probably in very good young players, you know? And I think that's why, like, if they were to be in the JC Jackson market, I'm not sure if that's the best way to spend the money, but I know if it's, it's a hell of a lot better way to spend the money than to sign five players for $6 million each. Right. So. So they'll probably do that by the time you listen to this podcast. Well. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. The, the, following the quarterbacks will be fun. It'll, it, it'll be a fun thing to do to pay attention to young quarterbacks. I mean, it's going to be the most interesting Seahawks free agency in a while. That's for sure. And, you know, I, I suppose that I hope that there's clarity on it sooner rather than later. And that 
Von Miller resigns with the Broncos and has a very nice life. <laughs> Our Broncos. Our Broncos. <laughs> Thanks for listening.